0: Get him stopped! Get him stopped! God and Moses both in a sidecar did not drive a sprint car with a thousand horsepower. I swear to God, he done a
1: double somersault backwards. My car won't go past wide open. Uh, my fifty thousand came in a tweaky box. You know I get my jollies off over looking at a nice car wash. You know he's gonna crash your shit, but he's still he still got great stories. Oh, they disappeared. Oh, I'm leading. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leading. <laughs> Your old ball sack, and you just freaking let it eat. It's all goddamn assholes and elbows, and if you ain't right, they'll send your ass to the rear. Logan, everyone, and welcome back to Open Red, the official podcast of the World of Outlaws, NOS Energy Drink Sprint Car Series, and the Extreme Outlaw Midget Series presented by Toyota. My name is Ross Weiss. Very glad to have you joining us for another episode this week. Nate Repitz, our guest this week. Tire guy, tire specialist, whatever you want to call him. We'll get into titles later. With the Jason Johnson Racing Team on the road with the World of Outlaws. Nate has a really cool backstory. Started off, uh, Nate is from Pennsylvania originally. Uh, started off his time in racing kind of just as a, as a fan in PA. Or worked for a local team up there. Uh, but got his degree in college and spent several years as a high school ag teacher uh, before ultimately leaving that career behind to go out on the road full-time with the World of Outlaws and with the Jason Johnson Racing Number 41 team. So really, really cool backstory that Nate has. You're going to hear more about that in the interview. We'll start the interview off, of course, with current events. We go uh, in deep with Nate, talk about these new Hoosier tires that we have just a couple weekends under our belt with on the road with the Outlaws. Nate gives a lot of good behind-the-scenes stuff about how that transition has been going. Uh, for the 41 team. So without any further ado, here's Nate Repitz this week on Open Red. So this will now become an open red flag situation. I just want to kind of start here talking on current events before we dive off into any kind of your backstory. But We've got a couple weekends under our belt now with this new Hoosier tire. Kind of tell me how these first few weekends have gone for you guys uh, as you're kind of learning this and adapting your program to it.
0: Um, Our first couple nights have been pretty good. Uh, The tires have worn really well uh, for us, all three features that we had. Um, I wouldn't say there's a huge, drastic change. Carson's commented that. He hasn't felt too much in the car, but you know, you measure ride heights, you put it on scales, we have adjusted a couple things um, that's a little more proprietary. Uh, uh, It seems like these tires are really good at letting out the heat, so at least right now, while it's cooler outside, the tracks aren't as abrasive, we might have to get more aggressive in getting heat built up in the tires. Uh, so they could fire off better say in qualifying or a heat race or on a restart. Um, but I think it's, it's a good tire. I think it's going to be like a, a net positive moving forward.
1: You talked about how quickly these tires are dissipating heat in these first three or four races we've run with it. Has that, with that in mind, has that changed what you've had to do as far as grooving or siping or anything at all?
0: Uh, yeah, it has a little bit. Um, I kind of take a less is more approach at first and then uh, let the tires stay what it needs uh, to get heats even and things like that. You know, Philip is really great about uh, checking tire temperatures when we roll back in following trends uh, and adjusting the car from there. Uh, so we've done a couple things I'll
1: say. A couple things you, you said there then kind of lead into a few questions. Uh, some fans asked on Twitter when I told people it was going to have you on the show, but because you mentioned Phil kind of reading temperatures there, but after a race, what are you guys looking at to kind of evaluate how the tire performed in, in, in that feature? I know you mentioned temperatures, but is it, is it visual wear or kind of what indicators are you guys looking at to judge how well that tire performed for you?
0: I guess immediately I get to the car and we want to take readings to, uh, basically see it as close to it was on the track. Um, I roll stagger Check the tire pressures, fill checks, temps. Uh, We kind of share those numbers back and forth. Um, It seems a little weird, but uh, here lately and probably long term, the tires will actually shrink a little bit when they get a lot of heat in them. So they could come back in, you know, at the same size they went out. I've even seen it in the past where they've been two inches smaller at the same air pressure from all the heat. So we're just trying to analyze what happened there. Um, And then we go from there. Uh, A visual inspection is always good. You want even temperatures across the face of the tire. You want uh, even wear as well. Um, Make sure that there's no chunks or blisters or um, any sign that it's starting to tear itself apart.
1: And then do you guys keep a notebook of all this data to call on the next time you go back to X racetrack or whatever?
0: Yep. I've kept notes on everything since I've been here. So that's going on four years. I keep a detailed notebook of what I had mounted, um, you know, what pressure stagger, everything we sent the car out with, how it came back in. So for example, I'm mounting tires for devil's bowl here today. So I can look back at what we did in, uh 20 I guess it was 22 and then back in 21 and then even back to 2020 and I take pictures of the tire on my phone after each feature so I can see okay how did it wear what were the track conditions you know what's the weather looking like am I going to need to do anything different Uh, but a lot of times uh, we will bring about the same thing uh, to the track each time
1: so one more question here that we we got from Twitter that I, and I was really intrigued to ask this one. So when, when you know Phil's working on car set up or whatever, and you're you know you're getting the tires ready for you know the the feature event that that night, when you guys get in a pinch, what wins out? Is it the desired air pressure or the desired stagger?
0: I would say air pressure. Now I've never driven a sprint car myself, so I don't know how these things feel. Uh, from a driver perspective, but from what I've seen, I'd say air pressure. Uh, stagger, you can account for. Uh, maybe change the lines or running as a driver, but if your air pressure is up or down a couple of pounds, uh, that can really throw off the car.
1: So let's run the clock back here a little bit because you've got a pretty interesting backstory that I, I want to get get into because the more I've, I've heard about your backstory, the more I've been interested, but you you didn't you know start off life working as a, a crew guy for a professional sprint car team, uh, but you, you started off in teaching, as, as I've heard it. So tell me about what does your life look like before sprint car racing?
0: Well, I guess to start at the beginning, I'm from New Cumberland, Pennsylvania, near Harrisburg, Williams Grove's 20 minutes away. Um, I don't come from a racing family, but I would go to a couple races a year with my dad. Uh, and it, I was just always intrigued by sprint cars and dirt track racing. And I was just always the kid reading car books and playing with trucks and cars, um, where it really took off is when I got into high school, um, i got my driver's license and I could start driving myself to the races. And I started, you know, asking the bar, the minivan to drive myself to Lincoln and Williams Grove, every chance I got, I uh, just 16 year old kid trying to get to the track. And then my first, I guess you could call it paycheck job, I actually did two summers at the end of high school working in the concession stands at Williams Grove. Um, I really just wanted to get around the racetrack. Um, That kind of transitioned. It's just a story of meeting different people along the way. Um, I ended up helping Tyler Bear for a couple years there at Port Royal after meeting their family. Uh, they very gracious. I have nothing but good things to say about, you know, Eric, Wendy, Tyler, Sierra, uh, Colby, that whole group. Um, they really took a guy who didn't know anything but wanted to work on them and taught me the basics that I needed. Uh, that Around that time, I got... Yeah, I went to Penn State. I graduated in 2017, and my degree was ag and extension education, so I went to be a high school ag teacher, and that's what I did. I student taught, um, and then I went into the classroom after graduation, uh, still went to the races every chance I could, but I had a couple of good years in the classroom teaching mostly ag mechanics, as it would be, Um, but I sort of have the qualifications to do plant, animal science, whatever you, whatever you need me to do.
1: So yeah, you, you mentioned ag mechanics and that was going to be, you know, kind of my, my, my next question then is, so, you know, an, I'd say an ag program in schools isn't necessarily something that's pretty widespread across the whole country. So for, for folks that, that are listening that maybe didn't have an ag program, like what does the curriculum look like that you're going over in a school year as, as an ag teacher? Well, a lot of that actually depends on the program
0: and the area you're at, but basically school-based agriculture education, uh, you would often think of the FFA and the blue corduroy jackets. That's all part of a total program. In most cases, it's run through career and tech ed. Uh, so it's considered an elective class that you would take in high school if you had that, just like a music or an art class or you know, a tech ed class would be. But, you know, agriculture impacts every aspect of our lives, food, fiber, natural resources. Uh, So that's what an ag program can cover. And it's really up to the individual school on what they what they offer. So some schools have really big uh, greenhouses. Um, Others have a, a barn. They raise livestock with the students. Some have big welding shops, uh, fabrication shops, Uh, really a farmer or the ag industry has to be a jack of all trades. So um, at our school, I did all the ag mechanics stuff. I was the shop teacher basically for the school. And then I had a co-teacher, Miss Hack, and she did all the plant and animal science. And we worked together to be the FFA advisors. And then we ran that uh, program together but we each had our own uh, specialty
1: so what did your relationship with racing look like during your time as a teacher were you still involved on the weekends at at all with anything or what did the time needed to dedicate to teaching kind of pull you back from the racing for a bit
0: uh, teaching definitely uh, takes a lot of time you know as especially as an ag teacher that's I guess I'm attracted to more of these lifestyle kind of jobs than your clock in clock out type because that's what being an ag teacher is uh, with running an ffa program SAE visits um, all these other components that are related Um, i really needed to get my career off the ground so i focused on teaching Um, and also i should note i was in northern columbia county at benton high school so from there it's i want to say two hours to port royal And then the Bears live in Perry County, which is even further south. So it was hard for me to get to the shop and help them. I was pretty much a show up to the racetrack whenever I could and help them there, kind of crew guy at that point.
1: So, what led then to the decision to leave racing or leave teaching and pursue racing as a full time career? It's
0: something that I always thought of doing. Um, As I was working on the cars, I'm like, man, I really enjoy this. I've always loved the world of Outlaws. I think I would be good at this if I were to actually do it. Um, But if I could share maybe my connection on how I got hooked up with JJR.
1: That was going to be my next question anyway, so go for it.
0: Okay. So all the credit there really goes to the Bolts family. Kyle and Tammy Bolts were uh, Jonestown KOA but they just sold the campground last year enjoying retirement. But, uh, their youngest daughter, Lisa was actually in my same major at Penn state with me a year or two uh, behind. So we met there at Penn state, started talking racing of all things. Um, and I made that connection. So she actually took me into the pits and introduced me to her parents, to, you know, JJR group, um, The big break really came in 2018 after Jason passed. They invited me to go to the Knoxville Nationals with them. Their other daughter, Erin, wasn't able to attend and they had an extra ticket and they were willing to let this guy ride along with them all the way out to Iowa uh, to experience the Knoxville Nationals. You know, at that time, it was just a bucket list thing for me to actually go. But I got to meet uh, Philip and Bobby and, Uh, the sage family and everybody involved with that team and that kind of solidified my choice that hey i i think i should try to do this i would regret you know one day i might regret looking back that i never went on the road with the world of outlaws so i remember clear as day this would have been the thursday of world finals 2019 school just ended i checked my phone and there was a text from lisa and it said you know, both crew guys' uh, positions are open at JJR next year. You've said you've always wanted to try this. Do you want Phil's number? And then that's sort of, you know, in sort of a panic, if you will, or moment of blind faith, I reached out, and that turned into an interview, which turned into a job offer, turned into me uh, going into the principal's office and, you know, I give a lot of credit to Benton because uh, our principal and everybody, they were all excited for me and, and all that. But I basically went in and quit my job with about six, seven weeks notice and uh, moved out to Missouri and started my career in the world of outlaws.
1: So Philip is definitely one of the more established and well-known crew chiefs on the tour right now. What, what kind of, Mentor or you know to even use the word teacher but what what kind of mentor has he been to you as you've uh, through through those first couple of years on the road for you
0: uh, he is really good at being a calm level-headed presence you know he never gets too excited uh, when things go wrong or right uh, so for a new guy out there and I will admit I made some mistakes at first uh, he never you know, was throwing things, yelling, screaming, like he was able to talk me through what needed to happen, uh, very clear about what I needed to do, what the expectations were. uh, And it was really good training there that first year. Um, In 2020, even as things started to go crazy in the world, um, Phil was really good at getting Clyde and I up to speed and, you know, sort of out there on the road.
1: So it's it's kind of been the same core group of the the three of you guys out there on the road now. But kind of talk to me about the dynamic with you, Phil, Clyde out there uh, working on the car. If we can kind of the relationship that you three guys have as a as a team working on the car.
0: Well, it's really cool. Uh, we all get along very well, and I think that's the most important thing. Uh, having that good chemistry, we all respect each other, but we all have different personalities. Um, Clyde is definitely the extrovert the group he's the one it to say that lightly like he's always out there uh making jokes keeping the energy up uh really pulling us along and that's great uh we really appreciate that but then he has the ability to lock down and focus uh whenever motor heat start and it's all business for all of us from there um i prefer to be more the background you know seen in the background working kind of guy than necessarily out there talking to everybody um and then philip is like another step beyond that he's very private uh kind of guy secretive some might say Uh, he typically stays in the trailer and works in the notebook and um so we really have this wide range of personalities but they all seem to fit together as like a puzzle piece and creates this good core group
1: so people can hear the the title, you know, tire guy or tire specialist, whichever you choose to to go by at any given outlaw team, but kind of what all responsibilities go into your job. Tell me on a day at the shop like today and then on a day at the the track for comparison.
0: Okay. So tire specialist, tire guy, whatever you want to call it, uh, tends to be the more entry level type position. Um on an outlaw team but you know many will argue it's one of the most important as well the tires aren't right that's the only part that touches the ground so everything else gets thrown off but i say first and foremost my job is having all tires mounted balanced uh cut sighted, ready to go for the track my job is to fill our rack with all the options that philip is going to want so he can look at it and say okay i want this and that And let's go from there. So after that, I'm more of maybe call it your equipment manager or your NASCAR hauler driver. So I keep the truck and trailer uh, as clean as possible, immaculate. I keep everything stocked up. Um, So it's like a normal week in the shop on a Monday. We'll get home. We'll wash everything. Phil will work on the car, Clyde will work on four-wheeler, mule, tires, all the, the other stuff, and then I'll clean the trailer. Uh, today is Tuesday, so we're doing our maintenance. I'm starting by getting all the tires ready for the next weekend. Phil will work on the motor, Clyde will work on the car. Wednesday, we'll clear up any loose odds and ends, and then usually maybe Thursday, we'll travel. Um, to race Friday, Saturday, drive home Saturday night, and take Sunday off Um, but my job is more to support the other two guys so Clyde is working on the car and I'll service the generator Clyde's working on the car and I'll go to Home Depot to buy supplies you know I'm doing all these little things to keep the team uh, a well-oiled machine going down the road and of course Philip is not only the crew chief but he's the owner so he has a lot of obligations that go into there so I'm like your support staff, like behind the scenes guy. At least that's how we do it at JJR. Uh, But then on the race night, I keep the car clean, keep the truck clean. I jump in, help Clyde wherever needed. And then I make sure the tires are mounted and the wheels are tight and we're ready to go racing.
1: You mentioned earlier about, you know, some duties within the hauler and as, as, Brian Walker tells me you're quite the beast behind the wheel of the rig when it comes to some overnight driving or are you a are you a fan of some late night miles like that or what's the story there I'm a I don't know I'm
0: a really good overnight guy like after the races I'm kind of amped up so I'll get in the rig and you know I can drive till the sun comes up without uh, worrying about it too much um, of course I never push it but I love those late night drives just it's kind of like a calm, collect your thoughts, listen to some podcasts or music, or just listen to the truck uh, as you're going down the road. So, for example, here, we just left uh, Magnolia, Mississippi on Sunday night. I got in and drove seven and a half hours straight up into Missouri. At that point, at eight hours, you have to take a break in your log book. So at that point I went to bed and Phil, uh, took everything over. but. I definitely love to do me some super trucking.
1: So you mentioned earlier about, you know, this outlaw thing kind of being a, a dream of yours. So I guess what's, what's your experience been like so far? Has it been what you hoped it would be? Has there been anything that surprised you about going up and down the road with this circus? You know, what's, what's your experience overall been like? Um,
0: I wouldn't say there's been too many surprises. Um, I, I feel like I did a lot of research before I committed, um, and I'll even admit the open red crew guy episodes. I've probably (laughs) listened to each one of those five, 10 times before I decided I wanted to do this, you know? So I tried to make sure that, you know, if I went out and did this, I was gonna like it. Like I told them in my interview, I'm not out here just on some adventure. You know, if I'm quitting my job to do this, I'm gonna make a a go of it as a career. There really hasn't been any major surprises, if you will, but I'm I'm very pleased. You know, I definitely miss the interactions with everybody as a teacher. I see myself going back to something like that someday, but for right now, this is one of the best choices I've ever made in life. I'm just so happy getting to do what I do every day with the people I do it with, and I don't see myself leaving in the near future
1: you you talked about a return to teaching, but you kind of just got the opportunity here recently to do a little bit of that really cool video that you and Tony Laporta kind of conspired on about these new tires that came out, but do you have to call on some of your uh, teaching background to kind of explain to everybody in that five, six minute video, what was going on with the new rubber.
0: Yeah, I definitely applied a little bit of that. I didn't necessarily write out a lesson plan, but I had my notes <laughs> Yeah, I did have a notebook at my feet where I just highlighted some of the talking points, but, you know, there's some teaching expertise for you that I could just stand there and ramble on about this new tire, but it's easier for the students or the audience to understand if you break it up so Okay, well, let's break this down into five main points. So at the end, if I were to give you a test, I ask you, what are these five main points, if you could give them back to me, if you could describe like an example or two for each one of those main points, that's how a teacher would uh, put together a test. So I just kind of took that approach to make it easier to uh, digest for everybody. But it was a lot of fun, you know, explaining something again, if you will.
1: Well, all right, Nate Reppets on that note, Uh, it's been really cool getting to know you here throughout this interview today. Thanks for uh, taking the time to join us, but we'll let you go and get back to it and uh, get back to your prep for the next weekend of racing coming up.
0: Thank you so much, Ross. Thanks for having me.
1: You hear the horn sounding marking the final two minutes of the open red flag conditions. Three, two, one. Well, that's going to do it for us again here this week on Open Red. Thank you, as always, for listening. A few housekeeping notes as we get ready to wrap up this week's show. Don't forget to find and subscribe to Open Red anywhere you get your podcast. When it comes to social media, you can follow at World of Outlaws and at Extreme underscore Outlaw. Of course, you can find both the series accounts across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, etc. You can tweet me, at Ross Weiss, if you have any suggestions for the show. Don't forget to use the hashtag Open Red. We'll see you next time.
0: Hashtag Open Red.